By her pained expression, I could tell it had hurt her to admit that much to me, but I still had no idea what was going on. In fact, with every bit of information I was able to squeeze out of my traveling companions, it was clear I was barely scratching the surface. I sold my backpack into the back of the car, and I then glanced around to see if we were leaving anything behind, any sign we had come and gone. The car! The car had been in the parking lot while the convoy passed. It wasn't near the road, but even a half-blind child couldn't help notice the car's senior resembling and strange in the distance under the shade of the pines, screaming exotic and unique. As I replayed the passing convoy in my mind, it recalled the sound of the sleek black car slowing down, downshifting, about the time the driver would have seen our car parked in the lot. No way it had been overlooked. A blaring si siren and a pile of burning tires would have given away less than the presence of our tricked-out supercar in the middle of nowhere. I felt sick. Let's get moving, Zeri said, his voice urgent under his forced calm exterior. Slipping into the back seat, I heard Finn rocking in after me, tangled legs and fur and hot breath. Finn had a sense of, of urgency, but enough time to give me a wet snouted kiss on my ear as Xavier pushed the button and the car rumbled to life, then settled into a powerful, smooth hum. Standing outside, I seen took another look around before sliding into the passenger seat, clicked on her seatbelt, then banged twice on the roof. As if launching from a carrier's flight deck, Xavier shot out of the parking lot and onto the blacktop throwing us back into our seats. After I caught my breath, I fumbled for the seatbelt, a five-point racing harness. Driving around like a bat out of hell scared me, not as much as being kept in the dark. Max, please tell me more about your father and how you knew about that about the car at the end of the convoy, I said. At last, the faucet opened, and she began talking. Dad told me all operators have a car like this one. Once I saw the convoy, I expected an operator couldn't be far away. Dad said the plan was for each region to have an operator. They divided Pennsylvania into regions, and I'd say we just saw the central Pennsylvania West operator driving by. He can't have missed this car when he drove by, I yelled above the wind rushing through the gap at the top of the window, which Max had opened to vent her cigarette. She took a breath and exhaled. No, you're right, he didn't miss us, but now he's passed along that juicy bit of intelligence, though I'm not sure what they'll do with it. Exactly who is they, I pressed. My dad told me they'd been planning this for years, though it happened quicker than even they had imagined once the masses started connecting via cell phones and social media. That's why we had nothing like that in our house. I moved there with my mom and dad in second grade. They kept the same technology the owners had left them, straight from the 1970s, except for an old microwave. The tell Maxine was drifting back into her memories, but I couldn't afford to let her do that right now. I heard the collapse wasn't just in the U.S., I prompted. If all went according to plan... It was supposed to be worldwide. The Great Leveler, they called it, creating a level playing field. Dad and Mom played a really big role in the planning for many years, while the level playing field meant ensuring everyone had access to the Internet, developing technologies. At some point, Mom and Dad realized the goal of the lever Levelers resembled the killing fields in Cambodia more than a way to ensure third world countries could compete with everyone else. Are you familiar with Maxine's illusion, Yuli? Zayra asked. I wasn't familiar with it, my face burned in embarrassment and anger, because I read a lot of history and should have known. In the back of my mind, I recalled something I read. Communists, I blurted out. Not bad, Yuli. I might have underestimated you, Xavier said, barely hiding a smile. The Khmer Rouge were vicious, killing anywhere from one to three million of their countrymen, creating what they referred to as Year Zero. Probably the best way to explain the insanity is that if you had money, education, or skill beyond firing a gun or digging a hole, you were dead. So your parents got out once they realized this, I said? Mm-hmm, but not before my mother denounced them and everything they stood for. 
Less than a week later, she died in a car crash. That was only a year after we moved to the farmhouse, Maxine quietly said quietly. But your dad stayed in the job? He said he had to or they might kill him and me. He kept fighting them in ways they couldn't figure it out. Where is he now, I asked. I, I don't know, Max said, her voice cracking. A few days before the collapse, he told me something big was coming. He started drilling me about all these things I would have to do. Cont contingency plans, like how to drive this car and live on my own. Then he was gone, left for work. I haven't seen him since. She wept quietly in her seat while it looked in vain for tissues, eventually handing her a clean napkin from a box on the floor. She accepted it with a nod, sat quietly for a couple of minutes while she cried. Eventually, Finn McCool saw his opportunity and stretched out his body toward the front seat, gave her a long lick on her neck. Ah! She jumped in her seat. Looking back, she saw Finn smiling at her. Max smiled back. Thanks for the kiss, buddy. I needed that. Listening to the hum of the engine and the wind rushing through the windows, I began to settle, feeling almost sleepy. So were my in my subconscious. I knew something wasn't right, though I couldn't place it. For a couple of minutes, I racked my brain, trying to figure out what else I had missed. We came from the, under the shadow of the tall pines and slowed at a fork in the road. I saw the same ice cream shop we passed earlier in the day, its chrome and glass dazzling in the sunlight. You mind telling me why we're going back the way we came, I asked, annoyed. We're following the convoy, Ulysses, Zara said flatly as he made a slight turn to the right and accelerated up the hill. So it seems, though I don't see how following a convoy of armed soldiers serves our interests, I replied. We need answers, Maxine said, her voice clear and strong again. You need to find your mom, and I need to find my dad. But those soldiers can't help us, I pleaded, shocked by the logic. Not the changed. No, but others can, Zara said. But they're crazy, I spat. They'd have to be crazy and bloody geniuses to hit the world's restart button without nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons, Maxine said thoughtfully. Scary stuff, Zayra said, his eyes on the road. I nodded. But don't forget, Max said, they left plenty of people alive to be drones. The changed, I said. All part of their plan, Max said. If my phone hadn't broke, I would have died or become one of the changed, I told her. But tell me exactly how you two escaped. They were training me in some big old warehouse in lower Manhattan, Zayra began suddenly ready to talk. Had me hooked up to some wires, my eyes glued to all kinds of training videos and images, flashing by me fast like a strobe light. One day, I blinked and looked down at all the wires. I pulled them all off and realized I had to pee, so I stood for, up from my chair, all dizzy and weak, but alert enough to see I'd been sitting in a gaming chair. I walked past row after row, aisle after aisle of kids my age, boys and girls, black, white, brown, you name it. All kinds of folks there, Asian, Middle Eastern, all teenagers, all wearing urban camouflage. Must have been thousands of them, but I never counted. Just walked down the end of a row, turned at an aisle, and I kept walking until I came to a pair of double doors. No one stopped you, I asked incredulously. Nobody around to stop me. But I didn't go looking for anyone either. I walked through an unlocked fire exit and into a deserted alley where I relieved myself before heading to the sidewalk. It's all pretty blurry, but I must have walked around the city all afternoon trying to remember my name and why I was in New York. At some point, I recognized 8th Avenue started making my way to Times Square as my own thoughts slowly returned. But, I'll be honest, for a couple hours, all I could think about was all the different ways I wanted to kill people. I'd been, I'd been their terminal, and they had been programming me. Somehow, my subconscious must have been fighting it. Where did you go next, Max asked, keen interest in her voice. I must have sat down against a building and blanked out sitting on the sidewalk, because when I came to... The sky was dark. Someone must have taken pity on me because I was holding a coffee cup in my lap 
stuffed with cash and change. Tourists are suckers and give up all kinds of money. I even found a train ticket on the Keystone Line to, Pen to Pennsylvania. So I scrambled onto my feet and headed down to Penn Station to catch the train and see Madison Square Garden. I kept telling myself, gotta make it to the garden. Thought it would help me somehow. Did it, Max asked? It helped me escape. Helped me walk the blocks in time to catch the train out of the city before anyone took me back for the rest of the programming, Xavier Grim said grimly. Anyone playing at the garden, I asked? I don't remember. I stood up front just staring at it until a cop told me to get moving. Then I went inside, bought a hot dog and a Coke, and got on my train. I was in Harrisburg a few hours later. Felt like coming back after an alien abduction. So, you know all about them, I said. Yeah, Xavier nodded. So, why do you want to find them again, I asked. Max laughed so hard she snorted. I couldn't believe it, so I laughed and J Xavier joined in. Finally, Fimical barked and shipped his weight around on his paws the way dogs do when, pe when their people are happy.